Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the last word on Spurs. We do hope you're keeping very, very safe and well. Thank you so much for joining us as we return here for a Spurs summer window overview. If you're listening to the show for the first time, you find us on iTunes or on Spotify or across all major audio platforms. We're, of course, on Twitter at Last Word on Spurs. We're on Facebook and Instagram too. And before we announce our special guest joining us, I'm delighted to have back alongside me, been a while. And you can tell what time of the year it is when this man's back <laughs> on our screens. We've got a wonderful Jamie Brown over at the Daily Hotspur. Jay, how are you? I'm very good, thank you, Ricky. And obviously, nice to be back on on last one. Spurs, Spurs finally have a manager as well. So I'm I'm really excited to kind of look ahead to Ange Postecoglou and um, you know get some insight on that. But uh, yeah, obviously, 72, 72 days without a manager. We equaled Nuno's uh, the length of time we took to get him. But uh, for me. Obviously, I made it very clear in the in the last one Spurs WhatsApp group. I think we've got it spot on this time. I'm I'm really excited by Postacoglu. I think he is definitely the right man for Tottenham. And uh, yeah, looking forward to talking about him on this show. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's announce the man we've got on our show. Absolutely delighted to have him here. A man that covers Tottenham very, very closely, who's been definitely updating us for many, many years on what many call the chaos behind the scenes of Tottenham Hotspur Football Club. We're absolutely delighted to welcome to last one on Spurs for the first time. Daily Telegraph football news correspondent. We've got the brilliant Matt Law joining us. Matt, loves having you on last one on Spurs. How are you? Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. Really delighted to be here. And as Jamie said, delighted that the uh, the manager hunt is over. Because from a selfish point of view, that makes my life a lot easier. Unbelievable, Matt. When I think that for you as a journalist, I think you saw off two or three managers last season, two of them being interims, and us doing last one on Spurs. My wife didn't quite believe me when I said we've got to do another one. She thought I was just winding her up just to do another <laughs> podcast. But it was becoming almost a fiasco of, in general, how Spurs were doing their business. And let's be honest about it. I think despite all of the chaos nature of the way in which this managerial search has been portrayed, I think this time around, I will say there has been more consistency in the way Spurs have approached the kind of candidates this time around. When I look at the shortlist, which I'm sure we'll come on to, it does feel like the names that they've gone for have all been playing a specific brand of football. There's obviously the question around maybe the age of those candidates, which I'm sure we will come on to. But um, Spurs have got their man eventually. They've obviously got Ange Postacoglu now on a four-year deal. He becomes the first Australian to manage in the Premier League. He obviously will officially join on July the 1st after the two years at Celtic in which he won back-to-back Scottish Premier League titles and a domestic treble this season. So we're really keen to get your thoughts just before we do get right into the show itself of what you've made of the overall appointment. And I think the key that many will be asking is just how far up was he on Spurs' managerial shortlist of targets? 
Well, look, first of all, what I'd say is as long as you get the right man or one of the right men, the process actually doesn't end up mattering that much. No one remembers the process. People only remember the process when you end up with the wrong man. And that's what happened with Nuno. You had a chaotic process a couple of years ago and ended up with the wrong man. I would say it's been a relatively chaotic process once again, but you've probably stumbled upon um, the right man. I think it's a good appointment. And so, therefore, the process actually in the fullness of time probably won't matter at all, which is a positive thing for the club. Um, yeah, I, I would agree with you, Ricky. I think this time there has been, whilst it has been chaotic, there has been a consistency in terms of the philosophy of the managers they've gone for. You know, one of the first people they contacted and spoke to was Luis Enrique, known for having very, very sort of easy on the eye football, very attacking football. Again, there was, I'm sure we'll talk about this in, in more detail, but there's obviously the sort of interest around Nagelsmann. Again, someone who's, who's renowned forward thinking, um, front foot football, Arnie Slot the same. So, and then and then you end up with with Postacoglu, who is is very very attacking football and very front foot football. So, there's been a running theme. It hasn't jumped around from, you know, different philosophies in football. It's jumped jumped around a bit in different profiles of people, but the football itself that does seem to have been an underlying idea behind it, which has been stuck to, which I think is really important. One thing that we noticed in terms of maybe some of the reports that came out around Postacoglu coming in, and I think it was a little bit worrying for Spurs fans, that it was initially a two-year contract that was being talked about. Um, and then there was, of course, the option of a third. Um, Spurs obviously announced that it's going to be a four-year contract. I mean, what kind of changed in, in those last couple of days for it to become a four-year contract? And, and how significant do you actually think that four-year contract is? Does it say that maybe they're looking to build a... Obviously, Pochettino was, was given a big contract as well. Um, so, I mean, I, what, we're interested to get your take on that. Look, I'm, I'm, I'm not privy to the exact details of the contract. I'm not sure it's a straight four-year contract still. I mean, I thought it was going to be a two plus, plus a third option. And sources tell me this is unconfirmed by Tottenham that it's still not a straight four-year contract. Some of those four years might still be options. If they're the club options, then it doesn't matter anyway, to be honest with you. It makes no difference because it gives them the opportunity to extend it with, without anything. So it doesn't really matter. I like the fact that they've announced it as a four-year contract because it shows a public commitment to him rather than... Let, let's say, for argument's sake, that it was a, a two plus one plus one. Um, it's better to announce it as a four because it shows publicly that you're you're behind this guy and that you've got faith in this guy. And I think from a PR exercise and a public-facing image, I think that's a good thing. Um, and yeah, I, I th it's it's certainly one of the longer ones in recent history, isn't it? Is it is it the longest Long since Pochettino, I think? Yeah, longest since Pochettino. Um, yeah. yeah, and again, I think they need that. They need... They've had so much chopping and changing and so much uncertainty at Spurs, basically since, since Poch that um, they need some sense of stability and some sense of project and that the fact that the club is going to buy into this, even if, and, you know, hopefully it won't prove this, but even if there's a slow start involved, I think they need to stick with something and let something try and grow. And hopefully that this is a sign that this is what they're planning to do. Yeah, it is, I'd say, an interesting sign. I mean, it always is when you've got a new man through the door and, I mean, again, we talk about new men coming through the door. Spurs' new chief football officer, Scott Munn, doesn't actually start his role officially until July the 1st. And given the fact that he has worked with Postacoglu before, it does feel, Matt, from the outside looking in, 
that he's been fairly crucial in making this appointment happen. So I'd be keen to know from you, do you know if that's the exact case where he has had a massive influence on the actual appointment? And obviously with that, a take two on that question would also be, does that mean Daniel Levy will be taking a step back from the footballing operations side of the business? He certainly had an influence. I mean, we're all we're all grown-ups, and even though he's not starting work officially till July the 1st when his, his pay will start, I think we can all be grown up about this and know that he'll be making calls and sending messages and sharing ideas with people. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And he's certainly had an influence on this process because to come back to your original question, I don't think at the start Postacoglu was right near the top of the Tottenham list. But I think that with uh, Scott Munn's influence, I think he moved up that list and became more serious and more serious. And then I think once they actually looked into him a little bit more and had a sort of first interview with him and stuff like that, I think he really shot up the list after that. Um, so I think Scott Munn has had an influence on that. You would imagine, you know, we've still got a sporting director to come yet, but there's going to be a chain of command. But the fact that Scott Munn has taken on the chief football officer role, in terms of who Postacoglu has to deal with on a sort of day-to-day basis, or a week-to-week basis, it will be the sporting director and Scott Munn and not really Daniel Levy. But obviously, at the end of the day, Daniel Levy is chairman of the football club, sort of a more powerful chairman than most as well because Joe Lewis is such a hands-off owner. Um, And therefore, he will still retain final decision. But that is normal. I mean, for all the criticism I've given Daniel Levy over the years, that is perfectly normal that the chairman stroke sort of quasi-owner Um, who runs the club, uh, would have the final decision. But I do think the lines of communication will be different and it'll be positive in that Postacoglu will mainly deal with the sporting director and Scott Munn. I've got to ask you before Jamie comes in there, Matt, if you don't mind, just on Daniel Levy, look, you've covered it, you know, massively intensely this season in terms of the amount of, I would say... Many would say abuse, but criticism that he's had in regards to both on the field and off the field in terms of how Spurs have acted in terms of the managerial searches and also in terms of how Spurs have acted with managers being in charge, the likes, of course, of Antonio Conte and before that, Jose Mourinho. Where he is right now, Matt, I just want to love to know from you whether you feel he can rectify and actually get a point back where he can get Spurs fans back on side? Or do you feel that his role is completely untenable? I can't talk for Spurs fans. I mean, I, I can't. I, I wouldn't want to either. I don't think that that would be fair of me to try and talk for Spurs fans. All I can say is that I think the criticism has been of him has been entirely justified. I think he's got a long way back to come from. I think even if Postacoglu does well, it doesn't necessarily solve everything for Daniel Levy in my eyes. Fans might have a different opinion. What I would say is I think that this appointment will lift the mood around the ground and lift the atmosphere. And that's important because obviously the the atmosphere for a lot of last season was understandably, I should say, toxic and understandably so. I completely get it. But you can't go into another new season with a new manager with that atmosphere around the place and expect to succeed what Ange Postacoglu has done really well at Celtic is build a huge bond between the fans and the team. And I think that can still be achieved at Tottenham, even with people who will continue to have their opinions on Daniel Levy. I think Ange will look to to separate that 
and bring a connection between team and fans. And hopefully opinions on Daniel will almost stay away from the sort of football element of, of the club because it will be hard for the team to succeed in that environment. Mm. But albeit, I completely get it because I think all the criticism is justified. And I'll be honest, I've led some of it. Do you, do you think then, Matt, just to follow up before Jamie mm. comes back in, will it be Scott Munn primarily dealing with essentially the extensions to contracts, the actual on-field and off-field operations with Daniel taking that step back? Will he allow himself to do so? Because, again, there's been that argument, even when there's been um, managing director of football's in there, Daniel has still found it very, very hard to relinquish that power and control. Do you actually feel he can take a genuine step back and allow somebody else to come in and actually do that role? Well, look, in in fairness to Daniel, I don't say that very often, in fairness (laughs) to Daniel Levy... Um, he did do that a little bit with Fabio Peritici. Yeah. I mean, he did give Peritici more control than a lot of people have had under him at Tottenham. And, you know, unfortunately, I actually wrote a glowing piece about Peritici at the start of last season about some of the changes he'd made behind the scenes, not just about the transfer market, about trying to develop a, a big club culture at Tottenham. And I still believe that Peritici was doing some good things, but obviously that appointment was flawed because we all assume that that appointment was was made in the knowledge that he would get off the charges and that proved to be wrong. I don't want to dwell on that. But he did hand over quite a lot of power to Peritici. So I, I would expect him to do so again. But that comes with an asterisk in that, and this again is perfectly normal, the final decision will always rest with Daniel Levy while he's at the club. And unfortunately, basically since Pochettino, all his decisions have been disastrous. Hopefully mm. this one isn't, and I don't think I, I don't think this one is. I genuinely think he's got this one right in the end. Yeah, yeah. Look, obviously, just before Postecoglou came in and announces uh, the appointment of him, um, we saw Arne Slot being linked. Um, of course, he ended up almost mugging us off, really, and uh, signing a new contract with Feyenoord. Um, do we kind of know the exact reason for why this never really happened? And um, do you think he was one of Spurs' top managerial targets? And how high up the list was he? Well, again, the, the list the list was a move with all clubs. The list is a little bit of a fluid thing, you know. I don't think it's quite as 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 easy as writing down three names, one to three, and, and sticking in that order. People move around after conversations have been had and stuff like that. But he he moved at one stage. He moved to the top of that list fairly swiftly after the sort of Nagelsmann thing became clear it wasn't going to happen, um, and they they certainly sort of made contact with him or his representatives. And yeah, I've got to be honest, I don't, apart from the fact that he decided he was better off where he was, I don't entirely know why. And I don't entirely know what happened, but he he decided rather than going into that meeting with his agent and sort of demanding a move, he decided to go into that meeting and, and negotiate himself a new contract. What I do think happened, and I say this with a fair amount of confidence in my knowledge, again unconfirmed by Tottenham, is that the goalposts change on the compensation. I think originally when they went in for slot and when they started having talks, there was a uh, an understanding that they thought the compensation would be around €5 million, Euros, which is written into a release clause in his contract but actually doesn't come into effect till next summer. Or certainly that was his last contract. He signed a new contract now, but that his last contract included that clause that didn't come into effect on next summer spurs i i'm pretty sure were originally under the impression that were they to appoint him they'd have to pay around five million euros and then 
there was a realization and it was made clear to them that that clause wasn't in effect this season and that the compensation would be twice if not three times that amount and i think that w- that didn't end it there but i think that was the start of the problems phoenix 51 is a powerful employee technology enabling organizations to make data driven decisions at every stage of the employee journey from hiring through benchmarking and development to The platform provides detailed analytics on the most important asset in your business, your people, enabling organizations not only to make the correct hiring decisions, but also how to benchmark, train, and retain them. Phoenix 51, powering your people decisions through every part of the employee journey. As we've seen, Matt, look, during this managerial search, there's been so many names mentioned from Luis Enrique to Julian Nagelsmann. We've seen Marco Silva, Thomas Frank, Oliver Glasner, Brendan Rogers, Graham Potter, Roberto <laughs> Deserbi, Ruben Amarin. I mean, there's been so many names that it's funny because even with you obviously covering Chelsea, a lot of the names have been obviously regurgitated yeah. on so many different occasions yeah. at so many different football clubs. Was any of those managers, in your understanding, any real genuine targets for Tottenham? Brendan Rodgers definitely wasn't. I can tell you that now. Roberto De Zerbi got thought about, but was never really in the mix. If you remember what happened at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium when Brighton came, I mean, he also cost Tottenham Hotspur about 100 grand with, with that in terms of a fine. I think the, the, the fine got, got brought down. But that, that, I think, did for any realistic hope of Roberto De Zerbi. I'm sorry, I'm trying to remember who else. Amarim was a, is an enormous release clause, an enormous release clause, which made it always quite unlikely because to pay a huge release clause on someone you'd be taking a big old gamble on. You know, Sporting didn't have a brilliant season this season. I know they were excellent the season before last, but you'd be taking a big old gamble on him. I think paying an enormous release clause would, would be a huge gamble. Um Potter, I, I, I never really saw. They were interested in Potter a couple of years ago. I don't, I don't think that ever got off the ground. Uh, the, the realistic ones for me all the way through were um, Enrique Nagelsmann. I'm just trying to remember. Slot was there from the start. Postacoglu, like I say, wasn't right at the top of the list at the start, but he was always there or thereabouts. He was always there or thereabouts. I can't. I can't recall who else you said if I've missed one out there. Sorry. No, yeah, you've kind of you've kind of covered all the names there. I, I do want to ask you, Matt, just on Julian Nagelsmann because the most bizarrest thing you will see in football is <laughs> that was weird at the time. A club of Tottenham Hotspur stature, basically denying that they would ever would want to speak to Julian Nagelsmann. He, he wasn't the right, you know, decided at the time that they, you know, whilst he's a you know great candidate. Uh, he's not being considered for the role and almost tried to get in there first before maybe he would come out or one of his representatives would come out and say, this isn't going to happen. And obviously, subsequently before that, we saw what happened at Chelsea in the situation there, of course, where talks for whatever reason didn't materialise. Did you find that pretty strange, matter how that played out with Julian Nagelsmann and how Spurs went about that at the time? Yeah, it's a bit like me denying I'm going to be playing in the Open this summer at uh, wherever the Open's being played, isn't it? <laughs> You know, um, yeah, look, there's two sides to that story and you've got to choose who you believe, quite frankly. There's the Tottenham side of the story that they sort of had a look at him and decided he wasn't for them and they moved on. There's another side to the story, um, which is basically the opposite way around in that he had a look at Tottenham and decided Tottenham weren't for him 
and it came down to who was going to sort of jump first and and control the narrative. At the end of the day, you've got to choose who you believe. But um, mm. it, it it was amusing how it played out, shall we say? Yeah. It was amusing. Of course, the next step for Spurs on on their to do list this summer looks to be potentially bringing a sporting director. Um, obviously, yeah. lots of names have been linked. Um, kind of how, how is that search going and um, when do they hope to have a, a new director of football in place by? Yeah, it's a really interesting question because originally in the managerial search, uh, candidates were being told right at the start when first initial contacts were being made with people, candidates were being told that um, the hope was that a sporting director would come in first to take over the process, basically. That, you know, initial contacts were being made and that a sporting director will come and he will come and have, he will guide the process from here. Um, and that was the plan. And I suspect that's partly why the search has sort of taken so long because it's it's evolved from them being willing to sort of go slowly, slowly while they try to get a sporting director in to take it over to probably at some stage thinking, actually, we're not, this is this is going to mess us up. We, we, we're going to have to swap, flip this around because we're not going to get a sporting director in, in time. As you say, lots of names mentioned, lots of people, lots of the names from Germany. Um, some I know have already been spoken to. Some I know have either dropped out themselves or have sort of dropped out. But the whole thing has flipped. So the focus has moved away slightly from sporting director to getting the manager done. And it had to be a manager who was open to working a, with a sporting director, which Ange Postacoglu definitely is and has done, and B, who wasn't wedded to working with a certain sporting director. And I think that's important. So I think that search will now pick up almost again, not from scratch, but they can sort of go again with that. Look, I would expect them to want him in fairly soon because obviously they'll want him involved in the transfer and recruitment side of things. So... Look, I, I can't give you a timeline, but I would I would think that they'll want to get things moving, if not appointed, but get things moving within the next fortnight. With obviously Scott Munn now in the club as a technical director, do you think that the director of football role will now change? Because obviously we saw practically almost have the similar sort of role um, to Scott Munn. How is that, how's that going to change? Is that how yeah. that role is going to be done? They've split the role, actually. Um, so Scott Munn's role is called Chief Football Officer, it's not really a director of football role. It's more like a general manager role. So what they did with Paratici was almost combined two roles within one, and they called him managing director of football or something. And he was basically general manager and director of football. If you look at the Italian and Spanish, they often have these two sort of roles. One was a general manager who's like more of a manager of the football club and will manage how the academy is run and appointments within the academy and appointments around the football club. And then the sporting director, who's far more keyed into the first team squad, basically. And Peritici basically had both roles within one. Um, and it's kind of been split, is, is the best way of putting it. And so Scott Munn will be more on the operational management side of the football club. Um, looking from things through from the canteen and stuff like that, do you know what I mean? Through to through to academy and through to stuff that do definitely influence the first team squad and parts of the first team squad, and the sporting director will be more focused on the first team squad. In terms of a hierarchy, Scott Munn as chief football officer will be above the sporting director. 
you may not know the answer to this, Matt, but I'm intrigued to ask you. I've got a couple of questions. I'll try and fire them off really quickly. The first one I do want to ask is that in terms of that structure Paratigy brought in, there's a lot of different people working in a lot of different departments there at Tottenham. I think you've got Gabardini there, who's one of the scouts, and you've got people that are kind of in and around that arena. Do you expect that to stay the same as what that is now, or do you expect over time they are going to transition those guys? I think there'll be a lot of change. I think over time there'll be a lot of change through the club. I think that's the plan. I think there. I think Scottman, his initial brief is actually to come in and evaluate the entire football club and and decide what needs to change because a lot of those people who are there are are very sort of wedded to paritigy and wedded to certain ways of doing things and Italian style and stuff like that. I think they will try to create more of a club culture uh, rather than something that's wedded to a certain style. And I think Scottman will be in charge of that. And look, I don't expect it to be overnight, but I do think over the next 12 to 18 months, there'll be an awful lot of behind the scenes change. And before Jay does come back in, just a final one from me on this subject. We've seen, obviously, under Antonio Conte, that he made no harm in or no qualms in saying these players were club signings. The likes of mm. Jed Spence, the likes of Arnold Danjuma. I'm really keen to know by doing some of the research that I've done with Ange Postacoglu, he's not normally a man that accepts players that can just come in that aren't going to be part of his plan. Now, knowing like you do know Daniel Levy and knowing like you do know Tottenham Hotspur Football Club, maybe it's a hard question to ask you to maybe pin you down an answer of this. Do we really expect after 22 years to be there a real change in culture that the actual manager does get exactly the player that he wants through the door? That's that's where Ange Postacoglu is going to have to change, though. Because if he, at any club the size of Tottenham, you know, Tottenham are one of, certainly one of the big six. Um, and at any of the big six in England and in Europe, you're not going to get, all your own signings. It's not realistic. No club does. They sign they sign for the manager and they sign for the club. Every, Pretty much every club does that. Uh, Man City's a bit different, but Man City's such a unique setup that everything at that football club is built for Pep Guardiola. Literally everything. And that's why it'll be so interesting the day he leaves Manchester City. But other than Manchester City, all clubs will make club signings as well as football signings. The balance probably hasn't been right and the way they've done it probably hasn't been right in the past in terms of how strategically they've done it or the types of players they've brought in or the positions where they ended up flooding one position or something like that but that's that's actually a change for Postacoglu because if he's going to manage at the top level he's going to have to manage that and get used to that because that is just something that will inevitably happen. Are you confident Matt just on that Will he be able to adapt, in your opinion? That's the big question. That is the big question. I mean, look, he looks like a smart guy. He's adapted through different leagues. He wants to manage at the top level. So you would imagine he's going to come into this with his eyes wide open. His his agency are CAA base, who have huge links in Tottenham. So they know how Tottenham operate. He'll have been well briefed by them how Tottenham operate. So you'd think he'd come in with his eyes wide open. I mean, the really exciting thing about Postacoglu, though, in terms of the players he will want for himself, which I'm sure he will have had um, some some sort of promises on and, and in terms of being able to bring his players um, alongside maybe a couple of club players, is that his recruitment at Celtic, while 
they might not all work in the Premier League. He didn't get one wrong at Celtic. Every single player he signed was was basically a success and proved incredible value for money. Um, so his eye in the market traditionally is very good. Now he's got to do that at a different level now. That's the interesting thing, but it's encouraging. Hi everyone, Crackers here with your update for the Legends events that are upcoming, couple just before the summer break. On the 23rd of June, that's a Friday in Herefordshire at Hereford FC. Herefordshire Spurs have the one and only Michael Dawson appearing, a few limited tickets left available for that. And July the 7th, that's also a Friday, the one and only Danny Rose is appearing at Penridge Suites, Arnes Grove. Please go to closeencounter.events for your tickets there. So there you go, a couple of events before we take the summer break. Uh, keep safe, keep well, at Mr Cracknell on the socials for any further info that you need on those nights. And as always, come on you Spurs. We're joined back with Jamie Brown over at the Daily Hotspur. You know what time it is when Jamie's back on the shows. And we're joined by the brilliant Matt Law from The Telegraph, who gives us an insight into the inner workings of Tottenham Hotspur and the chaos this poor man has had to write about for many years, more years than he cares to mention. Poor man's doing Chelsea and Tottenham at the same time. God, you've got a feel for him. You really, really do. We are going to dive into some of the player situations and where we stand with them. I'm going to have hand back over to Jamie Brown. Jay, over to you. Yeah, look, obviously one player that looks like his, his time at Tottenham's coming to an end is, is Hugo Lloris. Obviously been at the club for 11 years, fantastic servant, been an amazing player for Spurs, of course, club captain as well. Um, he recently come out and has, has quoted saying that he, his time at Spurs looks to be coming to an end and, and probably over mm. this summer. Um, I believe he's got one, is it one year left on his contract? Yep. Or, yes. Um, That's right. yep. So, uh, of course, that looks like he could be leaving the club. Um, do you expect Spurs to kind of grant him his wish in terms of letting him leave the club? or And, and kind of where do you think <laughs> his likely destination might be this summer if, if he does move? Look, I, I do think Spurs will grant him his wish. Yeah, I do think he, they will. I think there's huge respect uh, both ways and quite rightly so. I mean, what did it cost Tottenham? It was like 13 million or something, yeah, wasn't it? I mean, insane it was, yep. Yep. yeah, I mean, it, it goes down in, in the modern era as one of their best ever signings for sure, Hugo Laristas. Um, and not just for what he brings on the pitch, what he brings off it as well. Incredible ambassador for the club. I wrote a few weeks ago that he, he had decided he wanted to go and he's confirmed it. And I can't see any way in which Tottenham will stand in his way or, or stop him. Um, I would expect them to let him maybe go on a free transfer or some sort of nominal free fee, mm. um, just to maybe cover off an FFP side of things for a nominal fee, but certainly no great fee. And I, I think they will make it easy for him. I, I know for a fact that people have been told that the the two key positions that Tottenham are looking to fill, first of all, this summer are goalkeeper and centre-back. So that tells you as well that they've accepted that Hugo is going to go. Mm. In terms of where he goes... Look, Saudi Arabia is trendy, isn't it? Let's face it. Um, for these players who are at the, the end of their careers, who might, you know, for one or two years, fancy earning an absolute fortune, Saudi Arabia. We know there's been Saudi Arabian interest in Hugo. I would expect him to end up in Saudi Arabia at the moment, for sure, in this, in this what is becoming this sort of veterans all-star league in Saudi Arabia all of a sudden. Yeah. 
I mean, obviously, regardless of whether he goes or not, I think Spurs probably need to bring in a replacement. And yeah. as you said there, they, they are looking to do that. Um, David Rea is a name that's been linked as well. I think Andre Anana, uh, obviously another name that has been linked. Who do you kind of expect in Spurs to maybe really target this summer? I think it'll be Rea. I think it'll be Rea. I've thought for a while it'll be Rea. Um, Anana, I know a little bit about Anana because as well, Chelsea are are interested in Anana. So from both sides of clubs, I've I've been digging around Anana. At the moment, Inter Milan are demanding 60 million euros for Anana, which is big money. Mm. Um Chelsea got have got a meet. Well, they? they got, got yes, free, so. exactly, exactly. Because he'd had that. I think he'd been banned, hadn't he? Yeah. Um, and then Chelsea have got a meeting with Inter Milan after the Champions League final, predominantly regarding Lukaku. But Anana's going to get talked talked in that. Mm. I don't think uh, Tottenham and, and Daniel Levy will particularly fancy getting involved in an auction with with Chelsea over Anana because the fee could get silly. Um, Raya, I think, work has gone into Raya already. And I, look, I'm, I'm not saying it's a done deal, but if you were to ask me today who I think it would be, I think it would be Raya. But Brentford have publicly said 40 million. But when a club says publicly 40 million, the realistic price is probably about 30 million. Yeah. Because, you know, it's like if you're selling a house, you don't go around telling everyone the exact price. You, you bump it up a bit, don't you? So, um, yeah. And it, it looks there to be done. It looks there to be done. Hmm. Interesting. Do you think Matt Hill would that fairly well? I mean, he's done very well at Brentford in terms of Tottenham. And what I've seen from Poster Cogner, he likes to play with almost a bit of a sweeper keeper that can yeah. play out from the back. Do you think he's ideal for that role? I think he's perfect. I think he's a great goalkeeper. I think he's a really, really good goalkeeper. I think he's a goalkeeper because of his contract situation. I think he's got one year left as well. We'll, we'll come at a good price. He's a good age. And he's very much that sweeper keeper. There aren't that many better with their feet than him. I, I think he's... Perfect profile for Tottenham. A very big name that looks like he's going to be kind of rumble on for the whole summer is Harry Kane. Um, of course, Real Madrid oh, just lost Karim Benzema. Um, so they're on obviously on the hunt for a striker. Um, it looks like Spurs are looking for at least £100 million if they are going to sell Harry Kane. Um, but obviously with Daniel Levy, with his reputation, as we mentioned, kind of so damaged, do you think he's actually going to want to sell Harry Kane this summer or will it be a case of... Um, you know, maybe they, they'll, they'll see what happens over the next year or so until his contract expires. What do you, what do you think will happen? Daniel Levy won't want to sell Harry Kane. I can tell you that for, for absolute certain. You know, Daniel Levy never wants to sell Harry Kane. Um, even if he had a week to go on his contract, Daniel Levy wouldn't want to sell Harry Kane. Um, I think it will come boil down more to what Harry Kane wants to do this time. Obviously, he tried to, and this I know this is a thorny issue with Tottenham fans, but he did try to engineer a move to Manchester City a couple of years ago, but he didn't really have any power in his hands because of his contract situation. If he were to try and engineer something this summer, he would have more power in his hands because of only having one year left. And I think it would force Daniel Levy and the club to think about it more than they had to think about it two years ago. I think Real Madrid potentially being interested presents a bit of a get out because I, I really don't think Levy could stomach selling him to, to Manchester United and having him playing at another Premier League club. Real Madrid does provide a little bit of a get out from that perspective. And maybe, maybe, and you might tell me I'm wrong here, a little bit of a get out with the fans as well, that it'd be slightly easier to stomach to see Kane going to Real Madrid than it would Man United. I don't really know why Kane would go to... Look, 
I don't personally. I don't know why you'd go to Man United because I don't think you're guaranteed to win the league in the next three years no. at Man United. Yep. I mean, the, the FA Cup final. They only lost it by a goal, but the, the the difference in class between them and Man City was absolutely enormous. I'm not having Man United down to win the league in the next three years. So I think if if it's all about trophies, I actually think United's still a bit of a gamble from Kane's point of view. Whereas I think Real Madrid. Over three years is a sure thing. You will win silverware at, at Real Madrid. It's all going to be down to Kane. And unlike two years ago when he made it fairly publicly clear with his golf course interview with Gary Neville and, and various other bits and bobs what he wanted to do, he's, he's kept it far quieter this year, which might be a good sign for Tottenham. My Look, my personal opinion is if I was advising Harry Kane, which I'd love to be doing, by the way, I would tell him to do nothing. I would tell him to sit tight. You know, sit tight, see where it goes with Tottenham. If it doesn't go where you want it to go, you're 30 this time next year. You got the you could go to any club you want to go to. Who knows how long Haaland will stay at Man City? You might suddenly have Man City as an option as a free transfer. Tottenham might take off from De Postacoglu. They might win the FA Cup or something. You know, you smile, but they might. You just don't know. I just don't know why he needs to jump now. He's got one year left. In one year, he literally have every single option available to him. This summer, if he wants to leave, he's got two, which is Man U, which I don't rate as a brilliant option, or he's got to move abroad. What's so, staggering me, Matt, if I can ask you just quickly, on, on the Real Madrid interest, the, the fees that are being banded around from Madrid to pay him right now, to take him right now, I know obviously they've, they've lost Benzema, I understand he need a replacement, but... It sounds absolutely insane that in less than what six months to a year, they can have them for free. What yeah, but they did it Freedom. They they did it Freedom Hazard. They paid uh I think it was eighty two million Freedom Hazard with one year left on his contract. Because I covered that transfer with my sort of Chelsea journalistic hat on. Yeah. Um and they, they paid it Freedom Hazard with one year left on his contract. So there is proof there that they if they if they think they can get him, they they will do it. Um, uh, yeah, I, I don't know what more to say, but I, I get what you're saying, but I just don't think Real Madrid necessarily think in terms, those terms. They've, they've proved time in, in the past that they are willing to put that money at regardless of the of the contract. And also Real Madrid, I've just gone through it myself. Real Madrid will know that, okay, they might be able to get him for free next summer. But if Harry McCain does sit tight and is available for free summer, free next summer, the competition they will have in terms of getting him will double, if not treble. You know, everyone will come in for him. Even if Haaland's still at Man City, I wouldn't be surprised if Man City had to go for him on a free transfer next summer. Before Jamie asks you about Harry Maguire, which is so excitement amongst Spurs fans, I joke by saying that. Um, just a final <laughs> one on, on Kane, if I can, Matt. Um, hypothetically, as we've seen with Spurs, they brought Bale back from Real Madrid. Would there not be that element where they could say, look, Harry, go to Madrid for a couple of years, go and win your trophies and then come back to Tottenham, finish your career here and then go and achieve, of course, breaking that Premier League record in a Spurs year. Because I know many, many Spurs fans feel that although that's Harry's record, the Premier League record, it almost feels like a Spurs record as well because he's achieved those milestones with Tottenham. Therefore, going to a Manchester United or dare I even say Chelsea, um, that would be... He wouldn't go to Chelsea. He wouldn't go to Chelsea. Definitely. He, I've, I've, I've covered, I've stood in front of Kane and interviewed him so many times. His attachment and loyalty. I know people laugh about Lawton. 
he won't go. He wouldn't ever go to Chelsea. Even he with Maurizio wouldn't. there, even with Maurizio there now, you don't think so? No, no chance. Well, no I chance for me. I no I'm, not the pressure, I'm not going to pressure anymore on it. He, 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 he really does value that, that legacy. He really does value okay. that legacy. What, what you just said, actually, you know, if you could write down a perfect scenario for Harry Kane and in a way for Tottenham because you get to have him back, it would be go and do two years at Real Madrid, win what you need to win, scratch that itch if you like, and then come back, come back, get the record yeah. with us. Because Harry Kane, I'm telling you, is still underrated. Harry Kane's getting better with age. I mean, all the metrics are that Harry Kane's getting better. He's getting less injuries with age. His goal-scoring record was better this season than it has been for many seasons. His overperformance on XG was, was better. He is getting better with age. I am convinced that God willing in terms of injuries, and he hasn't had a significant one now for three years, if injuries don't stop him, he can play at the top till 37, 38. I'm convinced yeah. of it. Yeah, I can't say before Spurs fans batter me in the comments. I'm not saying that he can't come back to Spurs and win the FA Cup and win a league and win a <laughs> Cup. But based on our record in the last 15 years, it looks very unlikely. But hey, Postacoglu might be the man, as Matt says. Jay, over to you. Yeah, now another Harry, obviously, who has been linked to uh, <laughs> arriving at Spurs this this summer is uh, Harry Maguire. Um, of course. You know, his time at Manchester United looks like it could be over. Um, Spurs, I think, as you, you've reported, could yeah. be an option for him. Um, I mean, how how likely is this sort of transfer and how strong is Spurs' interest? And if he was to arrive at the club, will we see some departures at centre-back? Obviously, Eric Dyer, David Sanchez. Do you think we'll, we'll see some departures if he does go? Well, I'll start with that because, like I said a minute ago, the two priorities at the moment are keeper and centre-back. So we're going to, I'm pretty confident you're going to see some departures. Uh, it's funny because a little while ago, there was a lot of talk about Longley being signed. Um, but I think currently there's a good chance Longley will go back and won't get signed. Um, there was also talk of an Eric Dyer contract. But in actual fact, I don't think they'll put Eric Dyer up for sale. And I don't quite know where a bid would come from given his form last season. But were a bid to arrive for Eric Dyer, I think they would very, very seriously consider it. Um, you can put Ben Davis in a similar situation. I know he's not a centre-back, but if you play three centre-backs, he sort of can. And um, clearly, I think I think it would be best for everyone if, if Davinson Sanchez can find a new home, given what happened last season to him. So I think there'll be a lot of potential movement around centre-backs at Tottenham. The defensive record was absolutely shocking, let's face it. And it, I think it's very clear that they need new centre-backs. And also, the way Ange Postacoglu likes to play, I'm not convinced the Dyers, Sanchez's, Longleys of this world can quite play out from the back as he will demand. Because... You've played for a long time with a lot of those defenders, almost like a counter-attacking team where, I don't want to upset Tottenham fans here, but where the centre-backs have actually been encouraged to go quite long, quite a lot of the time, go long for Sonny, go long into Kane to knock it onto Sonny to catch teams on the counter-attack. And it's worked. It's, and it's not long ball because it's been far more attractive than long ball. But it's not been take the ball from the goalkeeper, play through the lines, all that kind of thing. And that that's what it's going to be. And I don't think Spurs have got that defender at the moment. Now, whether Harry Harry Maguire is that defender, he Harry Maguire plays that way for England. I know he's had a shocking time at Manchester United, but he plays I cover England as well. You know, I've I've been out to the last however many major tournaments with 
with England. I've covered Harry Maguire's entire England career. He does play that way well with England. He plays through the lines with England. He takes the ball off the goalkeeper. He doesn't make many mistakes. He's a different player with England than he is with Manchester United. In terms of Tottenham's interest, what I do know is they've they've registered interest. They want to know what's going to happen with Harry Maguire this summer. They want to know what the expectations are around salary and wages. And they want to be kept informed as to what his situation is. Now, they will do that with a number of players because that's just due diligence in terms of the transfer market. So I wrote in my piece that there's no current indication that the interest will definitely be followed by a bid, but the interest is there. And I know it's controversial interest and I, I get opinion around him, but given what Tottenham need, it kind of makes sense to have that interest. I mean, he does fulfil, he does ticks, in terms of what Tottenham need, he ticks a lot of boxes because as well, you're going to lose some leaders this this transfer window, Hugo being a big one. Obviously, Harry will, all being well, he stays and he will take the captaincy. But you're going to be lose a few leaders. Maguire's also a leader um, and an experienced leader. So he does tick some boxes and factor all of this into the fact that the Kane family and the Maguire family are very, very tight. Kane has recommended Maguire to Tottenham in the past. Kane on England duty is him and Maguire are two of the closest kind of pals in terms of Kane's pals within the England camp and the families are very tight as well. So there is that adds another layer of intrigue to it, shall we say? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I have to say in Qatar, some of your reporting was was fantastic. Some of the videos, I, I remember you, you you know, you saying about the videos, yeah. Honestly, I met some of the highlights of, of the window the winter, of course. I was gonna say the summer, but it was in the winter. Um look, another another player who um of course you reported about, who got a lot of Spurs fans very excited um about potentially reviving his career at Spurs was Ndombele. Um of course yep. he's just another player who's left Spurs, gone and won a trophy. Um, but of course, he is returning this summer um, from his loan spell at Napoli. Um, yeah. Do you think do, is that genuinely something that might happen what, under Postecoglou? What, what I'm told is he wants to have a look at him. He wants to have a look at him, and the club also want to have a look at him. Um, I think a lot of the loan players who are out on loan are the decision is already made that they will try to be sold or loan out again. There's no decision being made on Ndombele. The the, the word at the moment is that. There's, there's a fair chance he will come back for pre-season so that people can have a look at him. I think that's sensible. He has got talent. I mean, if someone could get it through to him to run and get himself in shape, he would be a hell of a player. He has got talent. And just discarding him, I mean, I, mean, the, I can't imagine what sort of fee Tottenham would get for him at the moment. It would be pretty nominal. I think he's got two years left on his contract. Um, given the way the last couple of years have gone for him, it'd be pretty nominal. He didn't suit Conte or Mourinho at all. They are, everything about their approach to football is about running and high energy, high intensity. Now, some of that does transfer to Postecoglou. He is high intensity. He will make them run. But it's a different style of football. It is a different style of football. And it might suit Ndombele. And He's definitely worth a look. He is because he's so talented. It might be that they look at him and decide, look, the guy's never going to run. We're never going to convince this guy to run. Everyone else was right about him, in which case he'll either go out on loan or be sold. But it makes total sense to me to have a look at him. And that's what I think at the moment the plan is. You know what's interesting with Ndombele, Matt? I don't know if you agree here, that 
obviously under Conte and uh, again before that Mourinho and even Nuno to some degree, you're looking at three fairly defensive managers. Mm-hmm. You could argue someone like Aposta Coglu, who plays a more attacking, vibrant brand of football, might better get him back on side. Well, I, I've spoken to people um, around Spurs and inside Spurs about Ndombele a lot and and sort of why he was signed and, and what happened. And it, it wasn't too long after Ndombele arrived that, that Poch left, was it? It wasn't, they didn't work together for an awfully long time at the club. I'm, I'm not misremembering that, I don't think. And it's been said to me a few times that he, he was, a pro, he was signed as a project for Pochettino. And the belief is still that Pochettino would have got there with him and that he was signed very much with Pochettino's style of play in mind as well. And as you say, the, the style of play after Pochettino has just completely changed, you know, under Nuno, under Mourinho, under Conte, uh, in, in different order. Um, the, the style of football has completely changed and it's been to the detriment of Tangi Ndombele. And I think the, he, I think as well, there was, from what I'm told, because I think Paris Saint-Germain were interested in him at the time as well. I think he joined for Pochettino as well. And he's a player that joined to play for Pochettino and he didn't get the chance to do that very often. I think that massively sort of impacted him too. So I think there are some factors in there and there is going to be a change of philosophy and a change of style and he might fit into it. He will have to learn to run though. He will have to learn to run. Yeah. If it's such a basic footballing requirement, why <laughs> why have we found this so, so hard? I mean, I'd love to know that you didn't start on that one. So you think, Matt, the likes of Giovanni Lo Celso, I think there's some interest from uh, from Aston Villa, Aston Villa potentially. You think Lo Celso's probably done at Tottenham? I think Lo Celso will go, and I think he's had a good loan, so they will get some decent money back on Lo Celso. So I think that makes sense. I don't think they see him really doing anything at Spurs. I don't think he, from what I'm told, he doesn't really want to come back to Spurs. I think that the ship sailed. Um, and he's he's had a good loan, so they'll get some decent money, some decent return on La Celso for sure. And, and apart from the kids who have been loaned out, the other sort of senior players who've been loaned out, similar situation that, you know, I think they'll try to, to cash in if they can or look for other loans. Hmm. Brian, it was an interesting one, Matt. Obviously, on the back of the fact that he's just gone himself, won the uh, Europa League. That, I mean, that deal at the time seems bizarre now, the fact that we um, we, well, we gave them Eric Lamella around 20 million and we got Brian Hill and then we gave him back to them and they won the Europa League. It's just such a Spurs thing to happen. <laughs> Can't make it up. It is so Spurs, which you're no covering the club in your time. Do you think Hill has got any kind of future at Spurs? Such a talented player, but just needed the right manager. Yeah, I've got to be honest, I don't know on him. He, I don't, I don't actually, I'll just be honest, I don't know on him. I, I again... You'd think they'd have a little look at Brian Hill before they decide to. I mean, obviously, he is so slight and so small. But, you know, I think um, uh, Poster Coglu at Celtic has had Jota, who is is a very slight, small guy who's who's done very well for him. Mm. So I don't think he's going to be kind of sizest about these things, whereas Mourinho is openly sizest about his players, you know. It's you know I'm not defaming him to say that he is openly sizest about his players. He doesn't like little slight players, um, but I'll be totally honest. Brian Hill is is one I'm not sure on at the moment. Mm. Yeah, I mean it'd be interesting to see kind of how ruthless Spurs' clear out is. I think you, more players that you mentioned in, in your piece, Ivan Perisic was potentially a big name yeah. that, that might go. Um, of course, we're seeing the likes of Ryan Sessiong, Davinson Sanchez, as we mentioned, Eric Dyer, Ben Davis, Regulon, Harry Winks. 
Um, kind of how realistic do you think it is that uh, well, seven players might, might go out the door? Well, this is the thing. Wanting and doing are two different things, aren't they? And wanting and finding people willing to, to pay decent money for people are two different things. So it's going to depend a lot on on what they can and can't do. I mean, but some of those are moving parts. I mean, for instance, I don't see both Dyer and Ben Davis getting sold. One might do. And as I said to you, is it realistic that they're going to get a bid on Dyer given his season? Maybe not. But if one came from nowhere, then then I think they'd do it. So there's, there's wiggle room within that um, and wanting and doing are two different things. But I think in the past... Levy, certainly from the days of Pochettino, making it very clear that he wanted a clear out. He wanted, he talked about the need for a painful rebuild. Daniel Levy had no uh, inclination to do that at that time. He didn't want to rip up that squad. The inclination has changed now. The the club realise, given the season they've had and given the recent seasons they've had and given where they want to get back to, they realise that they need to overhaul it. Whether they can or whether they can all in this summer might not be fully realistic. But the key difference, I think, is the inclination has never been there before and now it is. In terms of incomings, um, obviously we, we spoke about the goalkeeper position and, and uh, I think we all kind of have that feeling that David Ray will be the guy there. Um, central defence, another position that we, that we mentioned. Yeah. Um, I'm Eric Laporte, Mark Gay, uh, uh, two names that have been mentioned. Are those kind of realistic targets? And um do we know any names who, who might be? Well, Emmerich Laporte, they've tried to, they've looked at before. Emmerich Laporte was mentioned two years ago, I think they, they looked at him. So there's some historical interest in Emmerich Laporte. So I can believe that there's interest in him. Mark Gerhi, yeah, I can see he's, he fits into their profile of player. Young, will get better, will add value. Hmm. English, he fits into the Spurs what a Spurs signing is at a club where you would imagine they could get him. So again, I see that as being sort of realistic interest. You'd imagine Mark Gerhi, for instance, will cost an awful lot of money. That's the only thing I'd say. I, I, I'm not sure they're going to pay the amount of money Palace would demand on, on Mark Gerhi. Um, but yeah, they're, they're realistic targets for sure. I don't see, again, it will depend on outs whether they sign more than one centre-back. At the moment, I see one sort of top centre-back coming in, whether that be a Maguire, a Gerhi or a Laporte or somewhere else. But were they to do a bit better than that with their sales and maybe they realistically expect to do, maybe they'll bring a couple in. Who knows? I mean, the fact that I'm asking you about potential targets sounds mad, but the fact Postacoglu has barely got through the door yet. <laughs> and um, I, I just wonder, like I say, how he even evaluates what's even happened to him over the past week. It's been mental, really. Um, yeah. Creative midfield, it's an interesting one, Matt. Obviously, you would have followed Spurs very, very closely and seen the work and the admiration Chris Jerickson got at Tottenham. I think it's funny, he's one of those players that maybe only when he left the club was it really understood and valued just how important and pivotal he was for Tottenham mm. during that Pochettino era. Um, we are being linked with a number of creative midfielders. Uh, James Madison is one name that continues to still be linked with Tottenham. Uh, James Will Prowse, of course, at Southampton. And also Harvey Barnes has been linked. Do you see any of those players being genuine targets for Spurs this Har- Harvey Barnes is is genuinely of interest. I know that for sure. I think he's not a top target. I think maybe there are a few players on, on lists and I think Harvey Barnes is within them at the moment. I don't think he's necessarily top of the list. I think he would. it would also depend slightly on price. If the price began with a three rather than a four, I think Tottenham might 
might bump him up the list a little bit. Um, but Harvey Barnes is certainly uh, a player of interest and a player who's who's on the list somewhere, I can tell you that. Madison, they've definitely got historical interest in. Um, and it wouldn't surprise me at all if they, they went for Madison, although Newcastle have a very, very strong interest in Madison. Um, and with their Saudi backing, you'd imagine they could sort of offer him a little bit more than Tottenham. But I agree. I, I totally agree with you that they've never really replaced Ericsson or found a way of replacing Ericsson and that it's been lacking that, you know, they've played almost with two six. I, by the way, I think Benton Kerr is incredible. And the, the way they missed him, he's been such a huge miss this last season. But him and Hoiberg are really like playing with two sixes. Benton Kerr can get forwards and actually Hoiberg can get forwards and play all get a goal but they're not creative they don't find pockets they don't find those little passes and it all becomes a bit predictable when you haven't got any of those players so I do think that given the way Ange Postacoglu plays has played in his previous clubs I do imagine that they will try and sign a player who can sort of play between the lines a little bit more and find those passes through the middle a little bit more and and also sort of allow Harry to not have to always drop so deep. Although Harry loves doing it, so telling him not to is quite difficult. But, uh, you know, Harry was having to almost play two positions a lot of last season because he was almost playing as the, the creator and the goal scorer. Before Jamie does close the show on Ange Postacoglu, there's one thing I do want to ask you about, Matt, and it wasn't the running rule, so I apologise. And again, if you don't want to comment, I understand. Um, it would feel weird to not ask you this, given obviously the fact you do cover Chelsea as well. Many Spurs fans can't quite believe that, there was no approach for Maurizio Pochettino during the managerial search. So I think just probably for the last time for our dear Spurs fans on here that I hear <laughs> Pochettino's name until we do eventually come to have that battle of the bridge again with Postacoglu facing off against Maurizio. Just for a cast iron fact, as far as you understand, no interest at all in Maurizio from Tottenham this summer? Not a sausage. And what I can tell you to add to that is Chelsea couldn't believe it. Chelsea, when they started to get really hot for Pochettino, were worried for quite a long time that the call would come from Daniel Levy and that he would tug on the heartstrings and it never came. And they were delighted it never came because that's the only thing they saw ruining it for them. So Chelsea are as astonished as Tottenham fans are that a call never went into Pochettino. But I am assured by people I trust 100% that there was not even this, not even a text message or a WhatsApp <laughs> Hypothetically, Matt, you think if Spurs did come in very, very late, he may well have been Spurs' head coach rather than heading off to Chelsea? I think he'd have found it tough to say no. I, look, I'm, that's, and that's my opinion. That is purely my opinion. Um, but I, I worked, you know, I said to you before we started the show, some of my favourite times covering football were with Pochettino at Tottenham. I absolutely adored covering that team. I loved covering him. I was, it was such a thrill. And um, just seeing his connection with the club, my personal opinion, based on no information whatsoever, is that I think he would have found it hard not to have the heartstrings pulled by Tottenham. Matt, I really appreciate that. And I'll say for our Spurs fans out there, there's over a thousand of you watching us live here. For those Spurs fans, I promise you that will be the last I mention of Maurizio until we face the man, whenever that may be. Probably will be in the opening fixtures. You know what it's going to be like. Jay, we'll close it with you, my friend. Yeah. Look, of course, Ange Postacoglu, he is the man that has come into Spurs. And uh, as I said at the start of the show, I'm very excited. I think that, you know, he's obviously had to work his way up over his career. 
a lot of people kind of talking about it, CB and not being near the top leagues. But look, as we mentioned, he's the first Australian manager to arrive in the Premier League, which I think says a lot about the barriers that he's kind of had to break down to get here and worked really hard, had to be patient to get here. So that's something that I really admire. Um, obviously, his first season... What do you think will constitute success um, in, in Poster Coglu's first season at Spurs? Just to go back to what you said there, actually, there's a really good point. Find out about his life story. His life story is pretty incredible, the way he he ended up in Australia and, and what his family went through. And that that also speaks to a lot about his journey and breaking down barriers. And I think, again, shows what kind of guy he is. Um, what constitutes a... I think Spurs fans have got to be a bit realistic you know, whilst Spurs fans, I'm sure, would love to get straight back into the top four, I think that's a really big ask, personally. I think what, what for me, would constitute a successful season, and I'm not a Spurs fan, but what I would consider a successful first season would be to get the playing style right, get them enjoyable to watch again, because they haven't been enjoyable to watch for a while, get the culture at the club right, because the culture's been lacking since Pochettino, Show that that's moving in the right direction. Cup run would be wonderful for them. And top six. I think that would be a great season. And if and look, if they don't get the cup run, but they still get the top six and the other th- other things, I still think that's a really good season. I think the playing style is really important and the culture is really important for it moving forwards in the right direction. I think, I know fans need results straight away, but I think those two are more important than instant results for me. And I think top six would be a very, very decent finish given how competitive the league's going to be and given where Spurs are coming from on the back of the season they've just had. If he gets higher than that, then it will be a sensational season, let's face it. But and I, I just want to see something that we can see can be grown and that people can see that it's heading somewhere and that there's a feel that there's there's something happening. A, moment, a momentum is the word. There hasn't been a momentum behind Tottenham since Pochettino. It'd just be good to see some momentum behind Tottenham again. Because it's a, it is, I mean, people, people, we've talked about this before. I don't want to bang on it. People think I hate Tottenham for some reason. It's a phenomenal club. It is a phenomenal, it's a big, big club. People talk about the stadium and everything. I loved White Hart Lane as well. It was still a big club at White Hart Lane. It's a brilliant, brilliant football club. It needs some momentum behind it. So I just hope he can get some momentum behind it. It makes you any better, Matt. You're getting a lot of lovely comments here from a lot of Spurs fans. I really <laughs> enjoyed this hour. Um, it really has been really fascinating. It's been a real, real joy. Matt, for those that want to follow you more closely across the social media, because I know with Spurs, it's a club that you cover intensely closely, most certainly. Mm. How can they do that? Yeah, I'm a, the only one I'm on is Twitter. So it's kind of, it's Matt underscore law underscore dt it's all on there yeah find me on on twitter i'm I'm trying not to uh get dragged into too many interactions on twitter this summer because i think i think social media is going to be uh, yeah i think so i think this is going to be a tough tough summer on social media for anyone interested in in tottenham or chelsea and i unfortunately i say unfortunately i actually love covering them both but i cover them both so uh yeah but Mm -hmm. find me on there and i'll be i'll certainly be I'm really, really looking forward to whenever the first press conference is called with Postacoglu. I really want to get in front of him because he looks like a man who's going to be really interesting to speak to and quite inspiring to speak to. So I'm really looking forward to that. Well, you're going to cover it more next week, Matt, but how important, just very quickly, is a kind fictionist to begin with? Because I think we all feel it might be a bit of a rocky start. Remember under Maurizio, of course, where 
if he hadn't won away at Aston Villa, he might well have lost his job. And that was very, very early. So do you think an important, you know, fixture list that is a bit kinder would be great? And maybe, I don't want to be rude, but with Chelsea, hopefully they got off to the greatest start under Maurizio? What's, I always think what constitutes uh, an easy start there, you know, I wouldn't want to face Burnley first game. Burnley are already back in pre-season training. They've got huge momentum behind them. Lots of fans, if if their club gets Burnley, will probably think, oh, fantastic. I would not want to meet Burnley first game. I just think that's impossible to call. I just think, But what I do hope is that people, people, as long as they can see the right things in what he's trying to do, I hope people give him time. Fingers crossed. Matt, it's been an absolute pleasure. Jamie, thank you so much for coming back on. Yeah, not obviously a fantastic show with, with Matt and obviously fantastic Spurs coverage. Obviously, as I mentioned earlier, really love the videos um, in, from Qatar. <laughs> they might be coming back this transfer window. There's that a sneak sneak exclusive for you. Me and Mike might be doing some more videos Mike. this transfer window. That's the one we hung about for, Matt. That was the one that we hung about for. Honestly, thank you so much for the wonderful Jamie Cheers, Brown. guys. Brilliant, Matt Law. We've been the last one on Spurs. Thank you so much. Take care. Sports Social Podcast Network.